There is no soil on this planet that lacks the nutrients to grow plants. It's not, it's not true. Um, the, it's a, I think it's a, as a generality, grossly over the surface of the earth, it's more or less kind of sort of true, but in literally it's not true because I mean, you, there are some soils that are like, you know, sands that are basically just quartz sands. It's got silicon and oxygen in it. <laughs> you know, you don't have the mineral micronutrients. But if you look at most agricultural soils in most parts of the world, yeah, the stuff that you need to grow plants is in there. Yeah, okay. Well, this is where um, Elaine and I might have a, you know, a, a technical conversation. 80% of the microbes that have been identified are also B12 dependent. As in, if there's no B12 in the soil, they're dead. So all the compost tea, all the inoculation, all the whatever bokashi you put in, if there's no B12 present in the environment, they die, and then you have to reapply compost tea. You can put the whatever, the kelp or whatever, into your brew that maybe has some cobalt in it. But if you, and then you can cause those microbes to reproduce because they've got the B12 and they can go through the life cycle because they need it. But then if you put those microbes back out into the soil where there isn't that cobalt, or it's at insufficient levels, they're going to die off. And so, you know, I think, you know, Elaine is quoted as saying that all the minerals you need are present in the soil everywhere on the planet. Um, and if you ask her in detail, in the top six inches, I, you know, my understanding is she says, well, in the top 24 feet, which is what a well-established perennial polyculture should have access to, right? With those deep-rooted trees and everybody else, they are pulling from that kind of a level in the soil. So it's an um, ideal. In the subsoil. Well, in reality, yes, all those nutrients are in the soil, but how far down? Are they in the top six inches? What's the aerobic zone? If your soil is tight at one inch, there's no air at two inches. The microbes can't breathe. They're dead. They can't access what's at four inches because they're dead. Um, so ensuring a sufficient level of you know, critical elements in the root zone, I think is a really, really intelligent thing to do. And I strongly advocate that, you know, we need nothing more than the rocks that the continent is, continents are made from and the water that the oceans are made from to do that. So if you're like me, you're probably wondering what's true. Is it Elaine that all soils have everything is it what David said where, you know, sands don't really have anything? We know they have low cation exchange capacity. What about Dan Kittredge's statement that it was actually 20 feet deep that they were testing? It's a lot of, you know, questions, right? So I was watching Elaine present on the Sustainable Design Master Class that's Raleigh and, and Neil's uh, program that I've been on many times, actually hosted and uh, co-hosted many times. I was uh, the, the person that would warm up for Elaine quite often. And it's something I love to do. And she mentioned this book, Donald Sparks, Environmental Soil Chemistry. And this is a 2003 book. She mentioned it in, in conjunction with the statement that all soils have everything okay so she said this book had that data so if we go into the book okay um 
It goes through what's in the soils, what's in the water. It's pretty incredible. And the thing is, let's get to that section. Yes, we have to get through the X-ray absorption spectrometry section. Um, right here. Contents of elements in soil, the Earth's crust, and sediments. It's important to note that the Earth's crust is under debate by geologists, uh, the percentages of which rocks uh, form it. So just keep that in mind. Um, but these tables are actually a composite of two studies and, and their composites in themselves. But the U.S. Geological Survey, paper 1270, 1984, and then Bowen, 1979. So represents soil analysis from throughout the world, it says. And then the U.S. Geological Survey from 1984 would obviously be that. But when we look a little bit closer at, at Bowen, H.J.M. Bowen, I mean... I could get the book. It's $300. It was sampling done in, 19, in the 1970s. And so it represents a snapshot of time. Because obviously the world has changed. Our soils are weathering. Um, the sulfuric acid rains have stopped because the EPA laws went into effect. And the sulfuric... Well, the, the, the sulfuric acid, you know what I mean, that was regularly raining down on our crops and triggering sulfur-induced immune responses, actually helping the plant. I mean, those were removed. And so we have to keep our thinking caps on when we look back in time. And when we look at environmental ke uh, chemistry of the elements by H.J.M. Bowen, there's a few things that leap out. Um, the author here extends, apologize for all those the work that has been missed. This especially applies to papers published. This applies particularly to papers published in Japanese and Russian. But um, no individual can have seen, let alone read the entire output of world literature. The coverage must be incomplete. So it's important to understand that this these data sets are incomplete. So half of it is from the US soils and the other half is from samplings from the world from 1979 or up to 1979, right? The samples, it's actually not, not clear as to the depth either. Dan Kittredge says it was actually 20 feet that they were going down was actually 20 centimeters in the U.S. geological surveys, which are the first half of these tables, okay? And it, it, it even breaks it down into Western and Eastern United States in the geological record, which is, which is fascinating and interesting and, uh, and tells you a lot about the difference between, between East and West Coast. But... I mean, this book is so great because it takes you through, you know, the chemical formulas for quartz and, you know, feldspars and all these different things. And, you know, this is where I got a lot of that in, in my book, right? The chemistry name for things, the, the, the composition of things. 
But g going through this is really important because there's this contention around this, right? And we want to know the truth because it's complicated. Okay, so, so obviously they're apologizing because the data set's incomplete. This is using those data sets and presenting them as if they are official, right? And, and, and complete. This feels like it's complete. You read the source materials. They say it's incomplete. We apologize. And the field has grown so rapidly since then, uh, since when he began this, he, he's had to completely rewrite this in 79. So if science was hot then in the 60s going into the 70s, then you better believe that it's just as hot or hotter today. One of the things that I did figure out is that it's just logical that the soils would have the 16 elements in them that plants require if plants had ever been grown there because the plants would have decomposed. And to grow there, they wouldn't have needed those things. So just starting there from that like place of logic, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, okay, chicken or the egg, it, it, they kind of had to be there, right? Together in the same situation for these things to happen evolutionarily. So there are actually deficient soils. And if you go through these books, even Bowen's 1979 book has the word deficient and deficiency throughout. So even though his data is, in, he, he says his data is incomplete, he still has enough data to show that there are deficiencies. Deficient doesn't mean not there. Deficient means not there enough for the plants to get what they need at sufficient levels. So deficient doesn't mean it's not there. So all soils have all the plant nutrients in them, all the essential plant nutrients in them, though some soils are deficient. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of like obvious when you put it out there, but when we look at soils that are just devoid of organic matter, they're deficient in carbon, aren't they? Right? When we see soils that are compacted, they're deficient in oxygen, right? So, you know, the interstitial airspace is oxygen and nitrogen. Um, and so when we, when we just think about things for a sec, we, we start to see that of, of course there's soils that are deficient in soil organic matter or carbon, which is a, a, an essential nutrient to plants. And you're like, oh, but they're bringing in the carbon. Yeah, but without carbon in the soil, if you're growing them in pure sand, it won't work. So it has to be, it's contextual. It's an environmental, like contextual nutrient. Just like we need cobalt in the soil for the soil microbes to do their work. It's, it's the same sort of thing. When we use language to make things feel cut and dry and functional in certain ways, it, it breaks down a little bit of this overlapping and simultaneity of the soil functions. And to go further, to just go like more into the standard way of thinking about it, soils are deficient in zinc. 
I mean, it's the most common deficiency on earth is that soils are deficient in zinc. This is why people take zinc supplements like in the middle of this COVID crisis because they're not getting enough of it in their vegetables and food. So, so zinc is deficient in the soil, zinc is deficient then in the foods. And then zinc is deficient in the people. And this is seen in places like China and other places that are overcropping and overtilling. This is also the case for cobalt. Cobalt is deficient in some soils. And same thing with selenium in New Zealand, Australia, and overcropped areas. They're deficient in selenium. And increasingly, soils are deficient in sulfur. And this, as I've said before, we had sulfuric acid in the rains from all the pollution from the unregulated like burning and fossil fuel refineries and burning. And that was coming down in the rain as sulfuric acid. And it actually was triggering an immune response in plants, which was helping the plants. But um, too much of uh, sulfuric acid ruins the soil and it just destroys the soil. So acid rain was harming the forests of New England. And I documented that with my teacher when I was a boy and we were like doing all this stuff in this classroom in, 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 uh, in New Hampshire, documenting, you know, what was going on as, as part of um, our class, but they were gathering that data and the teacher was, was, was doing stuff with it. So this, this is really important to, to dive into this complexity because it's like we need those sulfurous compounds in the soil. We need those sulfates in the soil because those are what plants uptake and they're essential to fighting off fungal pathogens as we've talked about. So it's, it's really becomes understandable now that some things are deficient. All soils have all plant nutrients in them, just not enough amounts that are available and there's antagonism. So we, we'll, I'll go into this more in the next video, but there are elements that are antagonistic to other elements. I've talked about it as we've gone through the elements, I'll go into it more. But just like, you know, when your salt, soils are too salty to grow stuff, there can be other factors similar to that where you have too high of one element and it's literally in the rocks, like limestone, right? <laughs> It's, it, it's something that you have to, we have to recognize and, and we might not be able to geologically quite overcome. We might have to work with what's there. That's why I say grow salt accumulating or, 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 or grow wild plants or grow native plants until we can grow the soil organic matter high enough to create that buffer in the soil so that the pH and EH comes into the Goldilocks zone and you can start doing other things. That might be very difficult in certain situations in certain areas. Um, just a variety of reasons why. Chemistry, closeness to the water, um, the water cycle in your area, the, the slope and geology of the, of the particular site we're talking about, an area we're talking about. You might be in a flood zone. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of factors to this. But it, it, it's really important to know that EPA laws didn't go into effect yet. So these surveys from, that were published in 1984, you know, these surveys that were published in 1979 still have the cumulative effect of unregulated uh, air pollution, unregulated dumping, and, 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 and the soil and the water. 
So the contaminants, this is kind of the data sets that actually led to the EPA making those, uh, those conclusions um, that, they, that they had to clean things up. And, and obviously the EPA laws happened in the 70s, 79 happened after that, but it's these same data sets that they were looking at because it, uh, it wasn't all collected that same year. These are meta studies that took all, as many data set points as they could find and gathered them. The concept that things can change rapidly in the soil and that we might change even the chemistry of our soil pretty rapidly through tillage, oxidation, um, and, and, and chemical ag has only been more realized recently. So I just want us to like think about all those things as we look at this information um, and then know that the Bowen test results had no soil depth. Like they, because they gathered it from information from all over the earth, they, they, they cut off that data probably because it was inconsistent or probably because it was variable or they couldn't get it. But it was 20 centimeters for the US geologic. And so you're like, oh, well, what was the US geologic? Um, I, I'll, I'll show you. And the reality is, the reality is, is that certain things we have very low numbers of. And, and, and that's often quite good because we don't want high numbers of a lot of these trace and micronutrients. But certain things are really low and they go so low as to go into the deficient range. So technically speaking, for certain types of plants, there are soils that are deficient in the nutrients in the amounts that they need, which makes sense. But I think in the context of Dr. Lane Ingham, we have to look at it with, again, our thinking caps on because she's adding compost and that's made with good plants, organic plants. So those plants have all the nutrients. Yeah, so those plants have all the nutrients in the compost. So when they're adding the compost onto the soil, they're actually adding the nutrients that are missing along with the life that could potentially unlock them from the soil profile, the amounts that are there, but there could be deficient amounts there. And so the, the, the compost has everything though, because it's made of plants, healthy plants. And then the compost teas have fish emulsion in them and kelp. And those things are like more nutrient dense than anything we can get on land. So, all plants, you know, dead dirt soils, you know, degraded soils, all they need is compost. Makes a lot of sense all of a sudden. You know, them having all the elements there in the soil is logical too, because where else would they come from? Right? Where else would the nutrients come from? The air? Of course they're coming from the air. The water? Of course they're coming from the water. But it would be the parent materials in, in the soil. That's the only other place. And so chemical ag has made this like weird riddle, you know, where you're like, 
oh, no, 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 you, you, the soils are deficient in this, so you need this, this, this special factory-made chemical. The soils are all deficient in this stuff. But that doesn't mean that they're missing entirely. They're still there. They're not available. So some of their deficiencies are antagonized deficiencies. Some of their deficiencies, they're just locked up in the mineral profile. And some of their deficiencies is because they're not in the pH and EH range. All of these are affected by compost. All of these are unlocked by a high enough soil organic matter range and robust biology in the soil. So it's a little bit like chicken, chicken or the egg, no doubt. But it's pretty phenomenal to know that all soils truly do have everything because where else would they come from? Where would it come from? It's not magic, it's soil. And, and there are soils that are deficient. So all soils have all the elements, but some soils are deficient from abuse or just the, the, the natural state of that soil. And it should be noted that the soil chemistry in here, the reference for this, when you look at Bowen, says that more than soil was included in the reference, it includes sand and regoliths. And so what we consider soil to be as, categor as categorically is, right, changes with the author and, the, and, and their perspective, a chemistry versus a geology versus a biology, like a biological perspective. I mean, Elaine's a bio, like, like a soil biologist. So she's focused on the soil biology and so that's how she defines soil from that perspective. And, and, and it's really important as we wade through all these things to not discount people because they've got things to add. And they're apologizing too, right? They're apologizing. They're like, I don't have all the data. It's the best I can do. And they're coming from their perspective. And so we got to unpack their language down to the common denominator between these things and really get some understanding because we've had 30 years of intense agriculture, leaching, erosion, and hard water irrigation, tillage, chemical ag, new pesticides, new herbicides, all these things have come to exponentially drive erosion up, drive degradation up. And, and we really could use a new soil survey of not just America, but, but the globe to see where we're at. Because we know about these things that have happened. We know that soils are deficient in carbon, right? I mean, this is like the whole idea behind regenerative soils. We need to draw down that carbon that's missing from the soil, that, that, that dark color of our soil is in the air and in the water. It's been eroded away, it's been blown away. So we need to bring that back. So we know things are deficient, but we also know we can bring them back. And it's such trace amounts like we talked about. Of course kelp and fish meal and fish emulsion and compost would have those trace amounts, especially when we're bringing it up to the right specs. I mean, it's 7% minimum soil organic matter if you have 40% clay. 
I don't know anyone with 7% organic matter in their soils. So we really, we really need to take these things into account and really put our thinking caps on, understand how powerful the tools we have are, and unpack the things said by all these amazing scientists and people who are all doing their best from all these different perspectives and, 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 and because of the definitions they establish, they're equally valid perspectives because they're operating by the rules upon which they establish for the science branch that they're in. And, and that for me, it, it makes perfect sense and um, it's, kind of, it's kind of like, uh, what, 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 else, what, what, could we, what else could we expect them to do, right? <laughs> so, so I really feel strongly that doing this kind of exercise is really needful because we begin to understand them in a completely different way. So when we talk about all this too, we're adding compost and the compost microbes are holding the nutrients in them. And we talk about in the soil food web how you need higher levels to release those, how we need the predators to release the microbes from the soil food web, from the bacteria and fungi. But the plants through rhizophagy are doing it as well. So when we're watering in this, this, this tea, if you've got really bad soils, they're going to kill that tea very quickly. But what happens is your plant has an opportunity to suck those things up, drain them of their, of their nutrients, getting that dose of micro and trace minerals. Also the micro and the macro and the minor nutrients as well, all of it, you name it, it's in there. And, and it's a soluble form. They've been, they've been pumped and passed through the sieve and so they're very small, ideal for going, you know, into, the root meristem cells into this into the root itself. So so this is this this is happening to people in real time. I, I just was with Brian um, Brian Vague at uh, an incredible vineyard, and he's like, you know, we're adding compost, and at first, you know, we know that that compost isn't lasting. It's it's dying because the soils are so bad but we know that it's helping the plants, the plants are being strengthened and that the rhizospheres of these plants are strengthened. And that's obvious, these plants are growing well, They're, the soil looks crazy, but these plants are doing so well because they've got that compost tea going, they've gotten that compost amendment in there and so they can make it work, even in those hard circumstances. And they just don't last. And so there could be a variety of reasons for that. It could be shocking. It could be like their situation where it's very alkaline and oxidized. It could be calcium carbonate rich. It could be locking everything up that comes into it. It also could be lacking in cobalt. Remember cobalt is required for B12. So, you know, micro to macro animals, soil food web members, they can't persist in that soil. And these heavily tilled soils, heavily extracted from soils, have these problems as well as soils that are just twisted a little bit out of the range of the PHEH or the chemistry is actually working against it and there's some antagonism there. But remember cobalt is one of those ones that actually promotes um, the availability of other nutrients. So it's, 
it's one of those things that if you can have it coming in in the compost and I would say you know because it's required for the health of all animals if you could get insect frost you probably could get cobalt in there faster um, they're, they're high in protein um, B12s in all meat um, bacteria makes B12 there there's all these different things that can help bring it in but you know the section where we talk about cobalt and what to bring in you can go back to refer to it if you need it but the most important thing to understand is like with the chemistry side of things with minerals you can't add everything in a year and see a good change in fact you can harm a system adding all the rock dusts and and like the minor cobalt and this and that it actually shocks things so it's important for us that we do things incrementally that's the final thought this was fun i hope you liked it let's go to the next one Soil is the linchpin to life, to civilization, to health. If we want a healthy future, to fight environmental collapse, to live regeneratively and ethically, and to experience a life of abundance and freedom, we want healthy and abundant soil everywhere. But that means we need to relearn old ways and learn some new ways to build, cycle, and partner with soil and soil life. We can change the world radically, but it's up to us. We have to make those choices. We have to partner with soil and soil life. It takes our participation and support. Will you join us? Regenerative Soil, the full program, we're going to dive deep. We're going to be looking commercial, we're going to be looking DIY, we're going to be going garden, we're going to be going farm scale. We're going to cover it all. We want to serve everyone at all levels and we want to create that fluency, micro to macro, so that we can spread the regeneration of our soil, our ecosystems, all our systems, all across the world. You can do this. You can regenerate soil because regenerative soil is the linchpin for life. It's the linchpin for all systems. Down there. Oh. All of our civilization. Everything is running on this. Everything is based on this. Everything is relying upon this. Check out the link down below. Sign up and, and join us in regenerative soil, the full online course. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm Matt Powers, grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively.